Today's podcast features an article from Discern Magazine. Shortly after Jesus cleansed the temple, he had a fascinating encounter with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was one of the few religious leaders who were receptive to Jesus' teaching. In John 3, verse 2, it's recorded that he came to Jesus under the cover of night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Notice that Nicodemus called Jesus Rabbi and Teacher. Rabbi was a title given to highly respected and distinguished Jewish teachers. It didn't simply mean just any teacher, but literally means my great one. It described a Jewish teacher who was highly esteemed and credible. Jesus was called Rabbi a dozen times in the four Gospels. The next word that Nicodemus used was a more general word for teacher, didaskalos in the Greek text. Jesus was unequivocally the greatest teacher who ever lived. Now, one of the most impressive elements of Jesus as a teacher was his incredibly diverse array of teaching styles and strategies. He always employed the most effective method for any particular person, group, or situation. Let's examine four of his teaching methods that we find in the Gospels. The first teaching method we'll look at is Jesus masterfully captured attention and interest. To teach, you have to capture your student's attention. If a teacher doesn't grab their attention quickly, meaningful learning is less likely to occur. Sometimes educators refer to an attention-grabbing device as a hook. Jesus was a master at this. Consider his conversation with Nicodemus under the cover of night. After Nicodemus' greeting, Jesus made a very startling statement that's recorded in John 3, verse 3. Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus had some understanding of the concept of the kingdom of God, but he most likely never connected it to this concept. Naturally, Jesus' statement led Nicodemus to ask a series of legitimate questions, and that was by design. Jesus specifically structured his statement to cause Nicodemus to think and then to ask questions. Jesus then used his answers to teach concepts about the kingdom of God that Nicodemus needed to learn. Like most Jews of his time, Nicodemus saw the kingdom as something strictly physical, a Jewish kingdom ruling over the Holy Land. But Jesus used this teaching opportunity to expand Nicodemus's understanding, showing him that the kingdom is much more than a physical nation. It actually includes a change from flesh to spirit and being born into a new family. Another example of Jesus using this teaching technique is found in two stunning statements he made in the 14th chapter of the book of Luke. So in Luke 14, verse 26, we read that he said to be a true disciple, one had to hate his father and mother, wife and children, yes, his own life also. He then followed that up in verse 27 by making another shocking statement. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This would have caused the listeners to have a lot of questions. Is he saying I have to literally hate my family? Hate my parents? And on top of that, I need to volunteer to be crucified? 
His shocking statements were designed to capture the attention of his listeners, or we could say his students, and get them to think. Now let's look at a second teaching method he often used. Jesus taught through perfectly constructed questions. Now teaching through questions is one of the oldest teaching methods in the book. It's often called the Socratic method, though it long predates the Greek philosopher Socrates. Asking questions can be a very powerful teaching strategy to help stimulate deeper thinking. They can also spark follow-up questions that give a teacher an opportunity to drill even deeper. Questions are designed to help engage a student's mind and force him or her to be an active learner, not just a passive listener. The four Gospels show that Jesus asked a lot of questions. This wasn't because he lacked answers, of course. He used questions as a teaching tool. He strategically designed his questions to nudge people to think more deeply, to come to the right answer themselves sometimes, or to frame the more direct answer he would give later. Notice some of Jesus' famous questions. In Matthew 7, verse 3, he asked, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? In Matthew 16, verses 13 and 15, he asked, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And then follow that up with, But who do you say that I am? In Mark 9, verse 50, he asked, Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? In Luke 6, verse 46, he asked, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Luke 10, verse 26, records this question. What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? In verse 36, another question. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And then in John 7, verse 23, one more question. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? The point is, questions are good. Bible students should be asking questions as they diligently study God's Word, and then they can use God's Word and other resources to find the answers. Let's now look at a third teaching method Jesus used. Jesus masterfully used illustrations to drive his lessons home. Good teachers understand the power of illustration, especially for visual learners. Sometimes the most effective way to teach a concept is not just by verbalizing it, not just talking about it, but by demonstrating it visually. This can be done through a variety of different methods, through a picture, a physical demonstration, a well-constructed analogy, or even a prop. Jesus often made very effective use of illustrations. One amazing example is found in Matthew chapter 18. The disciples had just asked him, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In verse 1. Now instead of simply answering the question, he called a little child to him and sat him down in the midst of them. Perhaps Jesus allowed the disciples to observe the child's behavior for a few minutes, and then he spoke. He then used the example of the child to teach his point. Unless you are converted and become as little children, 
you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Now, Jesus could have answered the original question by simply saying, you need to be converted and humble, but instead he masterfully used the child to visually illustrate the point. In another instance that we find in Matthew 16, verses 17 through 18, Jesus called Simon a Petros, which means a fragment or a stone. Is it possible that he picked up a small stone to illustrate Peter's relative smallness? Then, perhaps, he directed their attention to a nearby mountain or maybe a boulder when he likened himself to the Petra, a massive rock that the church was going to be built on. Peter was like a pebble compared to him, Jesus, who was the massive, immovable foundation upon which the church would be built. The previous examples featured teaching strategies Jesus often used for individuals or small groups. But when he was teaching to a larger group, a more general audience, he would often use a more traditional lecture approach, what educators call direct instruction, to teach in this setting. We find many examples of Jesus using the lecture approach when he was teaching larger groups. For instance, the Sermon on the Mount, recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The instructions he gave the apostles before sending them out in Matthew 10 his parables to the multitudes in Matthew 13, his discourse on prophecy at the Mount of Olives in Matthew 24 and 25, and then, of course, his final words to the disciples before his arrest in John 14, verse 16. What truly made his teaching sessions and his approach unique was how he taught. After Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount, we read, in Matthew 7, verses 28 through 29, how people responded. It says, The people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Jesus didn't teach in a dry, overly academic manner, nor did he base his teachings on the varying opinions of long-dead scholars and rabbis. That's often how the Pharisees taught. No, he taught authoritatively, confidently and clearly. His teaching was both profound and extremely practical. Plus, Jesus firmly grounded his teaching on the authority of the Hebrew scriptures. By some counts, the Gospels record him quoting the Old Testament 78 times. However, his own words also held absolute authority since he was the Word of God in the flesh, and he had a message given to him directly from the Father, which he taught the people. Any teacher would be wise to closely study Jesus' diverse array of teaching methods, but one doesn't have to be an educator by trade to benefit from his teaching. The primary reason we should study his teachings is to learn what he taught. This highlights the importance of education in true Christianity. Unlike many modern forms of religion, which are often centered on emotion or ritual, God's way of life, God's way, is centered on learning and understanding. True Christians must learn and grow in their understanding of the Bible and then put those teachings into practice in their daily lives. Jesus said that someone who builds his or her life on his teachings is like a wise man who built his house on the rock, Matthew 7, verse 24. So, my friends, build your life on the rock, the rock of the master teacher, and walk as he walked. Thanks for listening. 
For more information from today's featured article, visit lifehopeandtruth.com.